0: Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Good afternoon, SA family. My name is Gary, and I'm a Grateful Recovering Sexaholic, and I'm in Tennessee. And uh, today actually marks uh, 15 months of continuous sexual sobriety and an enormously wonderful path that has gone before me that set me on this course. Um, I have some really wonderful people in my local SA fellowship. Um, I'm also very happy to associate with um, the SA phone call group, and I'm a moderator and chairperson. And I've found that serving through my recovery has been able to bring blessings to me in ways that I could have never imagined. So um, this is not my first time in recovery. Um, I have been here before. I believe the longest period of sobriety that I've had is around 18 or 19 months. Um Being at 15 months, I'm heading back in that direction. I can talk about a completely different change from the recovery and sobriety that I experienced last time. Um, Being totally, completely honest and being a sexaholic, um, my goal today is to speak to you from the heart and to have God provide the clarity of speech that's necessary for me to really tell you what's on my heart and, and to be honest with my thoughts and my feelings and emotions. And my goal is to connect with people, that they would, too, share the joy and struggle in my recovery, that they would find a way to enjoy themselves on this path. Um, The last time that I went around this proverbial mulberry bush, I looked to blur lines as much as I possibly could. I was very focused on being able to have my lust and still be in recovery, so to speak and uh, obviously it didn't work. Um, After a period of time, I did start acting out again, and uh, it scared me because this time my uh, behavior started to escalate in a way that I was not familiar with. Um, They started moving much more quicker than they had last time, and I got really frightened and concerned. Um, I also realized that I had changed as a person and that I wasn't able to cope with this disease being a part of me, and that it was physically, emotionally, spiritually draining, and that it was all-consuming and taking hold of me in ways that I could never imagine. So my story is probably similar to many of yours. Um, I started out at a very young age. I was introduced to um, sexually acting out with some neighborhood children, and uh, it was almost like a waking... Uh, the pro- proverbial uh, beast inside of me. And, and once that was awoken, it was almost nearly impossible to, to not go back to it. And I started a repertoire of, um, you know, trying to find opportunities to act out as much as I possibly could. Um, and of course, you know, at that time, it was kind of the early internet age. Um, internet pornography was, was definitely starting to become available. Um, I do remember for the young people on this call uh, a time where you had to actually wait to view pornography, um, and that was an interesting experience because somebody would then pick up the phone and they would disconnect you, and uh, you would no longer be able to view what you were waiting at, you know, 90, 95, 96, 97 percent. Um, the world that I got into was so far and deep and and just treacherous and. Um, of course, it continued to to really wreak havoc across my life, across the next um, pivotal parts of everything that I was doing. So, you know, I was a young child, and I was I was acting out, and I was masturbating, and I was doing pornography. Um, and then it continued on, and you know, I tried sexually acting out with other children, not knowing really the difference of any of the, any of those things. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I probably knew that it was wrong. Um, and I probably had some type of concept that it was not godlike behavior and, and it was uh, something that, you know, I shouldn't have been doing and, and that there were repercussions and consequences, but I don't know that uh, any of those things really stuck, and, and, and I endeavored to cross the bridge as often as I could regardless of those consequences. And so, fast forward to, you know, my teenage years, um, you know, everything was obviously about, you know, who could I, who could I manipulate, who could I uh, who could I lie to? Who could I deceive? Who could I try to get into a situation where I could take advantage of them? And, um, you know, basically at some point um, I realized that I was all consumed with this, but it still wasn't enough to kind of shake me. And so um, fast forward a little bit more and you get into um, at the time I would have been uh, traveling the country playing music, um, and I was very busy at the time. Um, And I was with grown men, and so, of course, uh, you know, the the commonality that we shared amongst ourselves was, oh, well, this young guy, you know, we've got to teach him the way of the world, and we've got to teach him all this really important stuff. And so I was, you know, taught all these things that were obviously not helpful and not beneficial to me. Um, And, you know, it it just continued to to grow grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And uh, at at one point I can remember getting to a place to where um, it was like it was never enough. Um, There was never enough of it. There was never enough high of it. I I can remember over and over and over trying to recreate that initial feeling and really trying to understand what it was that I felt that first time and and being able to replicate that. Um, As I continued, you know, there were always boundaries that I wouldn't cross. There was, you know, male versus female boundaries that I wouldn't cross. There was male versus male boundaries that I wouldn't cross. There was, you know, well, I've never, you know, been with a prostitute. So that's something that at least I've never done. And of course, e- each and every time those boundaries were crossed. And, and essentially, they were small lines in the sand that I jumped over very quickly, even to the amazement of myself. Um, and as I continued through my sexually acting out, I constantly felt like um, well, you know, I'm not really hurting anybody. I'm not really doing anything that's that bad. Um, I'm not really causing anybody harm. And so, you know, as long as I keep this secret, then, then I'll be okay. And um, it really paralyzed me. Um, I got to a point to where um, several points in, in my addicting, acting out career that I was suicidal, that I wanted to take my own life, um, that I felt completely and totally hopeless. Um, there were points where I felt like, you know, this is as deep as I can go. I can't go any deeper. And then there are always points where, you know, being the sexaholic and having that creative nature, it was like, well, you could do this, this, and this, and put these together and accomplish an even higher high. And, uh, you know, then it was the concept of what if you involved, you know, drugs and alcohol and and risky, more risky behavior and, and escalated that. And so the path that I, found myself on was, was really controlling me and was taking hold of me. So um, I remember being married early on. Uh, I think it was about 19 years old when I first got married. And I'd had girlfriends in the past, nothing too serious. Um, I'd had a child out of wedlock. I'd had multiple different, um, you know, just sex-based relationships and, and really wasn't focused on having a, a real relationship with anybody. But I did get married. And then Um, I had an experience where I cheated on my wife, and uh, obviously that did not go well at all. And so I was taken to my um, church clergyman who explained to me that, you know, I had a real problem and I really needed to seek some help. So they put me into a general addiction recovery program, which is offered through my church. And, uh, you know, I started uh, attending those meetings and, and started to learn a little bit more about this at the time. I still didn't really understand that this was a, a addiction or a disease or a disease-like process. I really thought that this was more just a bad habit that had gotten out of control, but I, I was actually still in control of it. So um, I can remember lots of times trying to will it away. I remember white-knuckling and, and really trying to um, get as close to sobriety as I possibly could by by purely just abstaining from it and and swearing it off and and telling myself I wouldn't do it again. And and for periods of time that would work. Um, But obviously it wasn't a long-term solution. Um, And I even remember times in my life where I would just pray to God and ask him continuously, can you please provide a way for me to get out of this? But there was a part of me that didn't really want to give it up. Um, it really had a lot to do with the fact that I grew up in a very abusive household, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, Physical abuse wasn't too bad, but mentally and emotionally it was very, very hard for me. And I believe that this drug actually was part of me keeping myself alive and and a self-preservation tactic. And so as I've talked to my counselors and as I've gone through Um, you know, different types of treatments and so on and so forth. And I've really come full circle with understanding the behavioral um, aspects of this addiction. Um, A lot of it was an escape for me. A lot of it was an opportunity for me to be numbed out and to be completely out of the feelings that I was feeling and and to not have to experience them and really just go into this make-believe world of whatever I wanted it to be. Um, and the problem with that was that over time it became more and more real. And, you know, I've been in lots of meetings, hundreds of essay meetings where they've said, uh, you know, specifically in the Nashville area, um, some of the old-timers, the, the proverbial Bible thumpers will walk around and say, uh, you should be locked up, sobered up, or covered up. And it's quite an amazement to me that I haven't been locked up I haven't been uh, dead at this point, but but that I I had to choose the option of sobriety. So within the general addiction recovery program, um, you know, I I did gain some sobriety. I did have some experience of of strength and hope and and recovery, but I really was still focused on the fact that, uh, you know, I think they say it in the beginning of our readings. It says we wanted to control lust. We wanted to be able to enjoy it. Um, we wanted to be able to have it in our lives and it not have the same severe consequences. What I've realized through my recovery has been that I am unable to afford lust in any form, fashion, or function, and that it will bankrupt me every single time, and that I just purely cannot have it in my life. I'm allergic to it. It is a uh, all-consuming disease. I, on a very routine basis, will be saying in my head, God, grant me the certainty to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, the wisdom to know the difference. I'll routinely be saying in my head, God, let me find in you what I'm trying to find in this person object thing. Um, There's so many times where I just have to learn to surrender and to turn my life and my care and all of my being over to my loving Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Um, It has been enormously helpful to finally understand that I cannot afford lust. I cannot have lust in my life, and I will not do well with that. Um, of course, there's times and periods in my life where being the addict that I am, I'll wake up and I'll think, hey, you know what? Today I feel like I'm in control of this plane and, and we're flying well, and, and uh, you know, there's, there's certainly room for lust today. And I have to remind myself the importance of not putting myself into that situation. And a a good friend of mine here in the F.A. Fellowship in in Tennessee uh, reminds me of a bumper sticker that's really, really, really good. And it says, um, if Jesus is your co-pilot, you should switch seats immediately. Um, I cannot be in the driver's seat. My best decisions, my best thinking got me into these rooms. Um, I am the type of person who will convince myself that I am no longer an addict and that I can participate in lust freely and enjoy it and I can manage it. Um, I'm the type of person who will venture to believe that I no longer have this addiction and that I can set it aside and that I can do what I want and there are no consequences. And you know, Something I've heard a lot is, why didn't you stop? Why didn't you... Why didn't you realize the errors of your ways? And, you know, I go back to thinking about some of these experiences where I put myself in very dangerous situations, very toxic situations, very unsafe, um, very unsatisfactory positions in my life. And what I realized was that at the time, the drug is completely and totally intoxicating. And then it's essentially removing all of those, those ideas of consequences And that, you know, quite honestly, the best way that I've heard it is I'm on a crazy train, and, uh, you know, if if there's something up ahead that's going to blow up, the heck with it. I'll deal with it when I get there, if and when I get there. And that mindset is so destructive. Um, And I recently was watching a video um, recovery that my wife shared with me, which was from the serial killer Ted Bundy um, right before he was actually executed. And uh, obviously he was a very, very bad man. But he grew up in a really good home, and the video was really startling to me because it said that pornography, he believed, was the reason that he went down the path of of raping and killing women. Um, And it scares me because this disease can grab a hold of you so quickly and take you down such a horrible, awful path. And I was talking to some sponsees recently who said, um, you know, why do you think that this disease is so pervasive and, and so acceptable in today's culture? And I said, I truly and firmly believe it's because this disease is very, very successful on return on investment for Satan himself. Lucifer knows that this disease is winning in huge numbers, and that it's very, very, very pervasive because it's the most successful device he has to bring souls to him and to take people down to the depths of hell. And I know that this disease will kill me, and and I know that this disease will take away from me everything that I hold precious and everything that I believe in and everything that I love and and all the people around me. And so what is the solution for me? The solution is really simple. Um, I've heard it many different times in in meetings. Um, It's really good. It it says basically um, this is a very simple program for very complicated people, And the good news is you only have to change one thing. And what is that one thing? It's everything. I've had to completely and totally re-engineer my life around recovery. Um, Just to give you an example of what that looks like in my day-to-day living schedule, Um, on Mondays I typically do a phone call. On Tuesdays I go to a physical meeting. On Wednesdays I chair a phone call. On Thursdays, I go to a physical meeting. On Fridays I do a phone call. And on Saturdays, I go to a physical meeting. And on Sundays, I go to church and I worship with my family. Um, really, obviously, the only way that I've been able to get true sobriety is to surrender all of my necessities of being an addict to the program. And I remember sitting in a counselor's office, who's also a recovering sex addiction therapist, who said, uh, you know, when you're truly ready for sobriety and you don't want to just dibble and dabble with it and you want to dive, uh, you know, head first into that clean, crisp, refreshing water, you will make it a point to rebuild your life around recovery. And I remember at the time that being a very difficult concept for me to understand. I also remember that she gave me a, a small yellow index card that said just for today, I will go to a recovery meeting. And I can't live my life in a way to where I can talk about, you know, next week or next month or so on and so forth. I have to live for the moment. I have to live right now. I don't have tomorrow and I don't have the future. I only have the next 30 seconds, the next minute, the next hour. And I have to continuously practice being a recovering sexaholic. One of the things that I really enjoy is to find gratitude in that. And so when you hear the stories of people that come into the room and have any small amount of sobriety, one of the things that I see that changes in them is that they become grateful for this. And um, to share a story with you like that, so my wife showed me um, a video that she was watching where uh, there was a experience where a man was convicted of a crime and he was put into prison for 26 or 27 years and come to find out he was not actually the person who committed the crime and, and later because science and discovery had changed and they were able to prove that he didn't commit the crime. And When they interviewed the man, and of course he had tears in his eyes streaming down his face, he said, I'm so thankful and I'm so grateful that my creator provided me a way to come closer to him, because without that experience, I never would have found a way to find that I have a loving Heavenly Father and a brother, Jesus Christ, and that I have this ability to connect with them and love them and turn myself over to them and envelop myself into them. And... From that experience, I have found so much humility and gratitude in this recovery process. Don't get me wrong. There are times where I'm very frustrated and very upset. It always feels like I'm not necessarily making enough progress in my own personal program or that my spontees are not making enough progress or that I'm plateauing in a sense. And then I think back to 15 months ago to this day, and I realize how completely, totally chaotic and out of control and turbulent my life had become in such a short period of time, having then dipped back into the pool of lust and obsession. What I've realized in this program is that there is no magic bullet. There is no one thing that you can do. Every program is different, and every experience is different. What works for you may not work for me. What works for all of us, in my own true, humble opinion, is to surrender ourselves to God every single day and to find grace, love, empathy, and humanity in Him and through Him. What I'm really thankful for at this point is that I can go into a recovery meeting and I can share openly and honestly, and have experiences of joy and thanksgiving. Um, You'll find in some of our readings that it says, may we meet you as we trudge the road of happy destiny. And I have actually been told in a meeting that I am too happy and that it is very upsetting to people. And I always enjoy having a conversation with them after in private and saying, it's okay, I understand. You will get there eventually. This too shall pass. Um, I know that this program works. I know that it will work if you work it. I know that I am not the most diligent in step work. I know that I still have a lot of work to do. What I am diligent in doing is going to meetings that has been a huge part of my own personal success in sobriety and recovery, there are times I don't want to go to meetings. There are times that I'm tired, I'm, I'm, I'm upset, I feel overwhelmed, I have low bandwidth, so on and so forth. I still go to meetings. I still make the phone calls. And I don't beat myself up if I miss those meetings because the biggest critic that I have in my life is me. I am the person who will destroy myself. And I am absolutely the person who I need to lift up and carry along and also surrender. And so what I look to do is I look to live my life in recovery. I try to build my schedule around recovery. I try to uh, develop experiences to where I can help others and others can help me. I try to be of service. I try to do everything I possibly can do to really glorify and magnify the reason for being in these rooms. And when I first came in, I was angry. I was upset. I was beyond frustrated. How could God put me into this situation? How could God do all of these things to me? God didn't do any of this to me. I made these decisions. I made these choices. I have this bed to lie in. And when I finally got to the point of recognizing and realizing that the only way that I was truly going to get out of the hole that I dug into was to finally turn myself over to Christ and to turn myself over to this program and to turn myself over to the higher power of my understanding. That's when real recovery, real sobriety started to take place in my life. I am so grateful and I am so thankful for this experience. It has been absolutely incredible. The people that I've met, the relationships that I've built, some of my closest friends and associates that I speak of on a more daily basis than any other group of friends are recovering addicts and it's not because of any other reason but the fact that we share the struggle and we share the strife but we also share joyous happy free we share the gift of recovery and it's so exciting to see a newcomer come in the room and to see them completely totally burned down to the core as i've been many times and to look them in the eye and to say to them i know why you're here and i know the pain that you feel and i know all of this can be taken away And it won't be taken away today, and it won't be taken away tomorrow. But eventually, you will find that this is a transformational experience. Just like when you're making a very heavy piece of metal into a sword, every single pound of that hammer helps to shape and create the sharpness and the definition of that blade. And it's the same process in this program. There's lots of other types of recovery programs, 12 step programs sexual addiction recovery programs. This is one of the most rigorous programs is what I've heard. It's rigorous because we have a lot of opportunities to fix and solve and resolve all of the wreckage in our past. And it takes time. It takes work. What I know is that today I live my life in recovery, and today I have joy and gratitude because of that. And because of that, I'm able to get on calls like this and share my story. I know that a life without lust is the most wonderful life for me because I cannot afford it in any way, shape, or manner. And I also know that where where I am in my own personal recovery is my job, you know, if you look at the next 11 to 12 steps, is to go out and share this message with others and to help others along their journey. And so that's something that I really have started to think about a lot is how do I turn this? horrible, awful, terrible thing into a gift, into a blessing, and into an opportunity for others. And that's why I'm excited to talk about recovery. It genuinely has saved my life. I have been to a place to where I've wanted to give it all up, and I've wanted to jump off the bridge, and I've wanted to just end it all. And all of that has been because of that addiction and because of that road that it's taken me down that's just, just so hard to come back from. And I've been so sad and I've been so angry and I've been so alone and I've been so afraid. And I share all of those feelings with everybody who comes to these meetings. And I'm so grateful and thankful for Roy Roy Kay and for his ability to see that this program needed to be created for God, setting it on his heart and putting him on that mission and, and sending him out to do this work. And I'm so grateful for all of those recovery members who have spent time with me to coach me and mentor me and work with me and sponsor me and do all of these things to help me along my way. And now I want to give back. I want to give gratitude and thankfulness and have joy. And I want to talk about how wonderful it is to be sober, how wonderful it is to be clean, borrowing from N.A., um, how wonderful it is to not have to walk that path every single day. And it's still hard. I mean, I, I can tell you that even after a certain period of sobriety, Um, you still have your challenges, you still have your struggles. But there's so much joy in knowing where you were versus where you are and where you're going, and that path becomes so much more exciting as you continue to turn your care and your will over to the Lord. Um, And as you continue to work these steps and continue to really build your life around recovery, I think that's something that's important that I've kind of talked about a little bit uh, numerous times today is, I had to stop believing that I could run the show, and I had to turn it over, and then I had to build in those you know, pieces of my recovery toolbox and have them ready. And I talked to sponsors about this. Um, if you don't have a recovery toolbox, get one. And if you don't know what that is, all you have to do is start thinking about all of the wonderful literature and material and, and all the information that you can have available to you to help you fight this addiction. Build a recovery network. Go out and find people who are struggling just like yourself or even find people who have sobriety. I mean, there's people here in the Nashville area that have 35, 36, 37 years of experience. And get those people in your phone. Talk to them. Don't just call them when you're struggling. Build relationships with them. I call them fire drills. If if you can have an opportunity to make a phone call when you're not struggling, it's 10,000 times easier to pick up an 800-pound phone to make a phone call when you are struggling. So this is my strength. This is my experience. This is my hope. This is my recovery. Um, and I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity to come on today and to talk about this. And um, I love each and every one of you, and I want you to know that I'm here for you, and most importantly, that God is here for you, and that the program is here for you, and the fellowship is here for you. And with that, I'll close. My name is Gary, and I'm a gratefully recovering sexaholic in Tennessee. And thank you for this opportunity to be of service.